0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. So we've spent, I don't know, what, a couple months dealing with uh, the first probably 13, 14 chapters of Genesis. (laughs) Now it's time to sprint, folks. I mean, I I had people coming to me this morning going, you're serious? You're going to cover that much? Hey, we're running, you know? You got to warm up a little bit, get the engine going. And then, uh, you know, you start to move. and Everything's warmed up, and now we're going to start to go, okay? And uh, so when we start hitting all this stuff, and we're going through it uh, at a furious pace, you know, that's what K-groups are for. Get involved and uh, start asking questions. This is uh, a 30,000-foot view of a lot of information, and we're going to kind of run through it, okay? And I my prayer is... That we're able to do it in a way that really does give everybody a picture, a reaffirmation of the story of Scripture. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. That's clear. And so in the midst of that, uh, being reminded of this great salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're going to uh, start in Genesis again, but we're going to start uh, kind of getting through the story of Abraham, and there's several things we're going to look at this morning. And I, I just want to remind you, in the midst of all of this, that the Abrahamic covenant is an eternal covenant. The Mosaic law at the death of Christ is done away. We don't need that anymore in the sense that in Christ it is fulfilled in and through us. But there's an Abrahamic covenant here that is eternal. And we looked at it briefly last week, but the idea that God swore by himself that these things would take place. If you notice throughout Genesis, look at how many times, be Bereans, go look at this, how many times that the Lord says, my covenant, my covenant, not our covenant, but my covenant. Why? Because God established this by his own name, and it is eternal, and therefore, it will remain. It will take place. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I like what uh, John Whitmer in the Bible Knowledge Commentary says about this, because I think there's a, there's a move today, unfortunately, that somehow the church has replaced Israel. We've seen it throughout history. We're seeing it intensify even in our time. Folks, the church has not replaced Israel. Israel is not through yet. We do need to support them. We do need to stand for them. And we understand that they are God's special, unique, covenanted people. Clearly. What John says is God had chosen Israel as his covenant people from eternity past and entered into a relationship with them, listen, that will never be destroyed. And he quotes Jeremiah 31:37 out of this. There are some things that it didn't matter what Israel did or didn't do. God said, "I have sworn by my name." Romans 11, Paul anticipates this, understands that this will be the thinking. We are in the church age, we're in the grace age. Jew who is saved, Gentile who is saved, become a part of the body of Christ, become a unique part of that. We are a unique people. But in Romans 11, 1, Paul anticipates there are going to be some people that say, well, then what's going to happen to Israel? They're done with. He says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Folks, when we talk about Israel, we understand that God is working. God will work. God has promised and will accomplish that promise. We see in Daniel that Daniel's 70th week, we call it the tribulation, the great tribulation, that seven-year period of time that we have not yet entered into. And I believe personally, the Bible's very clear that the rapture will take place before that period of time because the church will be removed. And that 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period of time, is for Israel. It's also to judge sin. Clearly, God is not through with Israel, and we need to make sure. We may not agree with everything Israel does, but we understand that they are a special covenant people, and we better make sure that we are treating them with respect and honor and dignity because they are God's unique covenant people that he is not through with yet. Amen? Amen? All right, good. Let's look at this then. Pictures of Christ. Abraham's life is a phenomenal life. I think we would all agree to that. And his life provides us, New Testament believers, with pictures of Christ and our walk with him. When we talk about the Old Testament, the New Testament, there are certain things that we look for in the Old Testament. What do we learn about God? We we have to look very carefully as who is this being said to. We have to look at what is being said and is it reiterated in the New Testament? Is it given to New Testament believers? We look for principles that are eternal. And when you look at the life of Abraham... You see some of these things coming out. You see these pictures that are very relevant for us today. Three things this morning. There's a picture of faith, a picture of faith. Ishmael and Isaac, we're going to spend quite a bit of time on that one because it takes uh, a long time to go through this um, in the context of what we're working through. There's the provision of a sacrifice, the ram, the lamb. There's the promise of a Savior, the seed. And that is one of the most amazing things about the Abrahamic covenant, that God promised Abraham that through you, through you, one will come who is the Savior of the world. It's amazing to watch. Paul reflects on that. And we have a great opportunity to see the picture of Christ in the midst of that. Let's start out with a picture of faith, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael in Isaac. Abraham Abraham is clearly known as a man of faith. He's one of the greatest pictures of faith, really, obviously, in the Old Testament. Paul uses him as an example to all of us of what it means to walk by faith. He believed it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't he did. It wasn't his works. It wasn't what he did that was credited to him as righteousness. It was the fact that he believed. God promised And he believed. God spoke and he believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. It's not the law that provided for salvation. It never has been and never will be. In Galatians, Paul makes it very clear. There's not a law. If there had been a law given that could accomplish righteousness, then faith isn't necessary. There is no law that can accomplish righteousness. And I'll probably say this a thousand times over the next three months. But why was the law given? Was it given to help us so we have some kind of a stepladder in order to prove ourselves to God? No, no. It was given in order to expose our sins so that we would know what sin is so that we would recognize our need for a Savior. That's why the law is given. Abraham believed. He had faith. He was persuaded that what God was saying is true because of who God is. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Interestingly enough, in the story of Ishmael, we also have a, a negative picture of faith. <laughs> we have kind of what, what faith is, but we also have a really great picture of what faith is not. When we take things into our own hands and we begin to try to work in such a way as to accomplish the things of God in our own strength, in our own thinking, then suddenly we're not walking by faith anymore. It's in our own strength, and the Lord desires For us to walk with him by faith. And there are times where he calls us to things that we don't understand. We don't know how to figure out. We don't know the end. All we know is the next step. And the Lord is calling us to take that step. And then he'll reveal to us more as we begin to trust him. He doesn't necessarily give us the conclusion of the story. He doesn't certainly tell us how it's going to turn out. He just invites us to join him and what he alone is able to do. Why? Because we sang it earlier. He's the Lord. It's his prerogative. So we have a picture here in Ishmael of what it means not to walk by faith, not trusting God, not understanding how something's going to happen, and then imposing an agenda into the whole solution in order to accomplish the things of God and it doesn't turn turn out very well. Amen? Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to bullet point this for you. We got Sarah and Hagar Ishmael's the result. Hagar is the maid servant of Sarah. Paul says she's, uh, or Ishmael, is the son of the bondwoman. Calls her a bondwoman. Why? Because she's a slave. Whereas Isaac is the son of the free woman. Who's that? Sarah, right? Sarah gives Hagar, her maid, to Abraham to have a child through her in verse 2 of chapter 16. Abraham, and and understand if you go back to Genesis, Abraham listens to Sarah. Not very wise. Not a good choice here, right? Because what had God already told them? You will have descendants. Through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. He's already promised this. Abraham already knows this. And yet, what is Abraham doing? He's going along with his wife's solution to a problem that they can't figure out. And so he begins to walk according to the flesh, according to our own thinking, his own thinking. Hagar conceives, and when she does so, she despises Sarah in verse 4. Sarah treats Hagar harshly. Hagar flees in verse 6. The Lord appears to Hagar. Isn't God gracious Isn't that something to take out of this? Look how gracious the Lord is. And he tells Hagar, go back, submit to Sarah in verse 9. He also tells her that Ishmael's descendants will be too many to count. Too many to count. He had promised Abraham that your descendants are going to be numerous. Ishmael is obviously one of them. And so the Lord reaffirms that to Hagar and in verse 13, we have Hagar giving us one of the names of God, the God who sees Elroy. It's a beautiful picture. She didn't think he cared. She didn't think he even knew that she existed. She's all by herself. She thought she's going to die, and the Lord comes to her, and she declares, the Lord sees. You know, that's a beautiful picture for each and every one of us. No matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what it is that you've been through or going through or just came out of and about to go into something else, the Lord Sees, he knows, he cares, he's compassionate because it's his character. In Genesis seventeen, we're promised a son of his own flesh. Abram is promised a son of his own flesh from Sarah. In verse nineteen, Abram is named Abraham. That's not how the Jewish people pronounce it, but that's how I pronounce it. Okay, I mean, come on, Abraham. I don't even know how to do it, you know. But Amen. That's right? <laughs> the corrections. Father of many nations. Okay? Sarah is named Sarah, which means princess. Why? Because she's told that kings are going to come from you. Kings are going to come from you. Beautiful picture in verse 15. They're promised the land as well as a son along with the descendants. They're given the sign of circumcision as a sign in the flesh of God's promise. My covenant with you. And don't underestimate the sign of circumcision. They were arguing about it in the New Testament as well. This is a massively important issue because it is God's way of promising them physically that what I have promised you will take place. You are my covenant people. In Genesis 18 through 19, Isaac again is promised. And I think his name is beautiful. It means laughter. Why? Because both Abraham, when uh, uh, he heard that, hey, you're going to have a child at your age, and Sarah, when she heard that you're going to have a child at her, her age, they both laughed. But the laughter there is not scornful. It is incredulous. It is with wonder. It is amazement. It is, wow, are you kidding us? We're going to have a child at our age. My dad had a my sister at the age of sixty, and my stepmom, and when they called me to tell me that, I said, "What in the what? You, what are you, Abraham? What's going on?" <laughs> and they laughed. Why? Because they were incredulous. They were so excited. We're going to have another baby. Amen. <laughs> it's been sweet. In Genesis chapter 20, you have Abimelech. You know, Abraham did some funny things with Sarah, didn't he? Remember, they went down to Egypt. He was scared. Sarah was beautiful. Pharaoh was going to want you as his wife. Sure enough, they came back and reported to Pharaoh, wow, beautiful woman. Pharaoh said, hey, going to marry her. And so he had Sarah lie about it. Well, he repeated this thing later on with Abimelech. Wow, beautiful woman. Yeah, tell him him you're my sister. And so then they, they end up getting married and the Lord steps in, intervenes. You can see this fleshly pattern of Abraham to lie and try to avoid things. You can see it in Isaac. You can certainly see it in Jacob, the deceiver, right? Kind of goes through the family a little bit. Interesting kind of issue there. I think it's interesting because Abraham in 18 through 19, you have whole Sodom and Gomorrah, you have Lot rescued, you have his wife being turned to a pillar of salt, that's a fascinating story, folks, we don't have a ton of time to go through all that, but they, they have the angels come, the city is so wicked, so wicked, the angels rescue uh, Lot and his wife, to tell him, don't turn back, And what happens? His wife turns back. She gets turned into a pillar of salt. Lot escapes with his two daughters. God preserves them, protects them. Abraham's role in all of that. In Genesis 21, Isaac's born and Sarah kicks out Hagar and Ishmael. Basically, they're kicked out. God has made their promises and has told them, you're going you're to do fine. <laughs> Ishmael's going to have many descendants. Look over at Galatians chapter 4, and let me read 21 through 31 with you. Galatians 4, 21 and following. Because Paul speaks to this. Again, this is a picture. This is a picture of faith. For for New Testament believers, how do we relate to this? How do we walk through this? How is it that we look at this story? Well, Paul Gives us a really good indicator of that. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 and following. He says, tell me you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? Now he's writing to believers, right? And he's writing to the Galatian believers, and he has already made it very clear that you were saved. You recognized Jesus Christ. You recognized that you needed a Savior. You recognized the law was not sufficient in order to save, and therefore you needed a Savior. And you're believers now. But as believers, you're placing yourself back up under the law, which is the tutor. The very thing that was supposed to point you to Christ, which did point you to Christ, you have now placed yourself back up under. You graduated. You are out of college and you're putting yourself back up under kindergarten. What are you doing? That's the context. And Galatians is the, (laughs) it's the only letter where Paul doesn't thank God for the believers. He's ticked off at them because he has spent time teaching them about the difference between law and grace, the empowering ability of the spirit of God who lives in you. In spite of the ability of the flesh or the inability of the flesh in order to accomplish the law. Why are you placing yourself back up under something you've been rescued from? And all the results that take place out of that, both positively and negatively. So in Galatians 4, he says, tell me, he's specifically referring to these believers who want to be under the law. And he says in verse 23, But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking. This is a picture for us. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, barren woman, Sarah, who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is now also. And then he sums it up. He says, so then, brethren. We are not children of a bondwoman, but of a free woman. This is an allegory. Hagar is an allegory with Sarah. Hagar is a bondwoman who gives birth, and it's out of the flesh. It's out of man's thinking, man's way, in order to try to achieve God's promise. Whereas Sarah is inexplicable. It's from God. You have to believe. You have to trust. You don't know how this is going to work. You're not sure what's going to happen here. And Paul says, for New Testament believers, we are descendants of Abraham through the free woman. Why? Because it's not by the works of the law. It is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Folks, what a picture. How often do we take the commands of God and try to work them in and of our own strength, in and of our own flesh, in order to accomplish the things that only God himself can accomplish? When we begin to walk with the Lord, God is always going to invite us to join him in what he alone is able to do. And all the blessings that we have as a result of that. And remember, the formula, if you want to think of it in a very simple way, the formula of a law is if you do good, I will bless you. And in effect, the formula for grace is I have blessed you. Therefore, go and do good and understand that the doing good there is not out of my own ability. It is the Spirit of God who lives within me in order to empower me to do the very things that God has commanded of me and has already blessed me in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times are we trying to get, as believers, into a room that we're already in? How many times are we trying to prove ourselves to God when God has said, you can do nothing, but in me, I have already given you everything? Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, why? out of our works because we're so good because we're sincere because we got academic degrees we spiritually have risen to this particular no but because it's in Christ because it's by faith by faith folks we all wrestle with this we all wrestle with this make disciples put a plan together let's go <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute take a step back Love one another. Oh, we got to have potlucks. That's the way to do it. Baptists. Great Swedish meatballs. Come on. That's what we do, isn't it? We put plans together. We want to reach the younger generation. So here we go. Here we go. Folks, maybe we need to take a step back and say, Oh, Lord, that's yes, we believe that you want us to do that. Yes, we believe that you've even commanded us to do that. In the midst of it, Lord, here we are. What do you want to do? Because you know better how to do this than us. We're gonna be like Abraham trying to fix the problem. Or we're gonna be like Abraham who at that point then began to say, oh, I believe, I believe. Well, there's a provision of a sacrifice. Oh, this story's so great. I could spend weeks on this one. Abraham Has Isaac, and oh, Isaac's so dear to him. I relate to that because I love my son Jonathan. Oh, we have a great time, and uh, just precious, precious young man. And I can't imagine going through this. The Lord tells him that He wants him to sacrifice Isaac. And if you look at Genesis chapter twenty-two, verses seven and following, as they're going to the mount as they're going for the sacrifice. Isaac obviously doesn't understand this picture yet. I can't imagine the heart of the father of Abraham in the midst of this. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? (laughs) That's a pretty good question, isn't it? Uh, Dad, I'm carrying this wood, but where is the lamb? You know, it's a lot of work here. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Boy, is that a beautiful picture of faith? That's a beautiful picture of faith, folks. I don't know where we're going on this mountain. I I know we've been told to do this, and I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work out. God will provide. God will provide. Wow, how many times do we go through that in our own lives? Lord, I don't know exactly why I'm on this journey. In fact, I didn't even want to be on this journey. I somehow tripped into this journey, but you know what? In the midst of it, Lord, you called me to it. You called us to it. You called whatever the circumstance may be. You called us into it, and and Lord, we trust you. You'll provide. In Genesis 22, verses 12 and following, Abraham sets it up. He puts Isaac on the altar and the Lord, as Abraham's about to kill his son, his only son, which the Lord, by the way, says that several times. Did you catch that? I want you to sacrifice your only son. Your only son, Abraham. <laughs> it's kind of like, ah, oh, thanks, Lord. I, I know that. <laughs> your beloved son, right? I mean, he's got Ishmael, but his son that he loves. He says to him, don't stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. From God's perspective, Ishmael is his only son. Why? Because he's the son of promise. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, In the Mount of the Lord it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. What a beautiful picture. What do you need? What do you need? Do you trust the Lord to provide? What is it that you're lacking? You look around and you're not sure exactly how this is going to work out. And you've you got to go back to these things and go, This is the character of God. God has given us everything in Christ. He is Jehovah Jireh. It's no sweat to Him to provide. He loves to provide, He loves it. He can't help Himself because that's His character. It's so often what happens is we end up demanding from God. And so we put ourselves in the wrong position. We put ourselves as if we're the sovereign one. And the truth of the matter is at that moment, the Lord says, no, no, eh, it won't be good for me to do this for you right now because you need to learn to trust me and you need to learn that I'm the Lord and I do it my way in my time. And so sometimes we're missing out on what God wants to do simply because of our attitude in the midst of it. I love Abraham's attitude. I love how he approaches this whole thing. The Lord will provide Isaac. And the Lord does. And Abraham worships the Lord because God provides for him a lamb. What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. God will provide the lamb. Your works, your sacrifices, all that you want to try to do are not enough. They're not enough. All the labor, sincere though it may be, is not enough. But in Christ, what do we have? We have everything. We have everything. I love John 1.29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow, has God provided a lamb? Yes, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? As believers, we get to walk in that. We get to walk in it. We get to enjoy it. We get to experience God in the midst of all that He's done for us, all that He wants to do for us. And we we walk by faith. We're saved by faith. We continue to walk by faith. We increase in our faith. How? The, the Word of God. The Word of God. We get into the Word of God. God begins to renew our minds. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing is how? By the Word of Christ, the Word of God. And boy, we wrestle and struggle sometimes, don't we? Come on, come on. We all wrestle and struggle. There's times where we fail miserably. And thank God he doesn't love us less in the midst of that, but he uses it in order to continue our story, continue to invite us to join him, continue to walk with him. And then there's times where we succeed, not in our own strength, but we get to to see how God is growing us and maturing us. We go, oh, thank you, God for your patience. And we give glory to the Lord, not ourselves, because in the midst of it, we understand what God is doing, and we understand that he deserves all credit. I think one of the greatest pictures in the Abrahamic covenant and the story of Abraham is Christ himself, the seed of Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. There there are numerous times where this is stated, and it's beautiful to watch. In Genesis 15, 5 and 6, he took him outside. The Lord takes Abram outside, and he says, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. Anybody able to count the stars? (laughs) We We have quite a picture of this in our day, don't we? With the telescopes and all the things we're able to, the satellites and all that kind of stuff. I just found out that, I think I heard that they, they found another uh, a galaxy. And it's the furthest galaxy that they've ever been able to pinpoint. Indescribable. Right? God is constantly just amazing. The Lord takes him outside and says, Look it toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. He credited it to him as righteousness. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 5 through 7, he says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you, your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. That's what Abraham means. I have made you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And then he says this, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Hang on to that. Verse 7. You and your descendants. In Genesis chapter 22 verses 15 and following, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and says, to him by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in verse 18, he he clarifies it in this way. He says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice you've listened to me, you've believed in me, you've acted upon that belief, you didn't withhold your son, your only son, from me, and now I know that all that you have is actually mine. And therefore, beautiful. Hebrews chapter 6, how do we understand this? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 14 establishes that God has made a covenant with Abraham that is eternal. For when God made the promise to Abraham in Hebrews 6, verses 13 and 14, he says, since he could could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. He swore by himself, you understand covenant, right? They they cut the animals. They were supposed to meet in the middle and Abraham was supposed to have a part of making covenant, cutting covenant with God. But what happened to Abraham? He put him to sleep. (laughs) And the Lord is the one that walked this path of death and made covenant and swore by his own name, in effect saying, may I cease to exist if this doesn't take We see the Abrahamic covenant. We're going to look at the Davidic covenant, the promise to David about the heir, the one sitting on the throne. They are eternal covenants. God is not through with Israel. And the Lord tells Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. This is something God is doing because we know God will provide the lamb. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, Paul speaks to this and he says this. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham believed. The Gospels proclaim there's one coming who is the Savior in whom you are to look towards. We look back because of the finished work of Christ. Abraham looked forward to that which God had promised. And in verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 3, Paul says this, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relationships. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, and he sums it up this way, that is who? Christ. God will provide a lamb. And Abraham believed that God would provide that lamb and that it would come through his line, through the line of Isaac, not through the line of Ishmael. And the Lord Jesus Christ is that seed. And all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are spiritually descendants of Abraham, spiritually related to the believer, Abraham, the father of many nations. How do we trust the Lord? Well, i tell you one thing that I am praying for this year is not only do we have an affirmed understanding of the word of God, you can spend your, obviously your lifetime, many lifetimes, studying the word of God and constantly be learning and growing in what the word of God has to say. Because the word of God is living and active. Praise the Lord. It's profound. But one of the pictures in this is just of believing God. God's been at work. God's been at work all along. And we're a part of that work. We're a part of that picture as believers. And what is God doing in and through us? How is God carrying this story on through us? How are we trusting the Lord? You may think it's an insignificant thing. You may think it's just something in the midst of your life that nobody else notices. But I want you to understand something. When God is at work in your life, it is never insignificant, ever. Because God is growing you and deepening you. God is calling you and inviting you even into a deeper walk with him. So that through you, as you're being transformed by the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you, by the word of God, the renewing of your mind, that through you, his glory will begin to be revealed. People begin to see God's love in us, God's love through us, and all the characteristics of it. And people begin to take notice, and they begin to ask the question, what's this hope that you've got? And we're told at that moment to be ready to give an account. When somebody comes to us and says, how is it that you believe in the midst of this circumstance you're going through? I don't get it. We can say, oh, let me tell you about my Lord. Because I've struggled too, but God lives in me. And the Holy Spirit in me strengthens me. And anything good you see coming out of my life is because of my Lord. And we get to testify about the greatness of the salvation of Christ Jesus in us as well as through us. We get to participate with him in the ministry of reconciliation to those around us who don't have hope who aren't secure in their future, who aren't able to look forward by faith, recognizing that what God has said is an established fact, and as a result, it changes everything. Folks, how are we trusting the Lord in order to do what God has said he will do? I think one of the difficulties for us in growing in Christ and walking with the Lord is striving, striving. always oh, strive, don't we? We get frustrated about things. We get mad about stuff that in eternity really isn't gonna matter. In fact, it's gonna be embarrassing a little bit. Oh, I can't believe I worried about that flat tire. Oh, Lord, you got it covered. Right? I can't believe I worried about that money. We're walking on streets of gold. We get carried up in this stuff. Folks, put it into perspective. We're a part of something that God has been doing, that God is going to accomplish. And the question is, are we trusting him or are we striving, trying to accomplish something for God when the truth of the matter is, what he says for us is, believe, believe. Rest in me. I'll take care of this. Rest in me. God has provided a lamb. Are we walking by faith, trusting him in what he has said? Folks, we've got a whole nation that is looking for people who love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, who are willing to trust the Lord no matter what the circumstances may be, who are free from the things of this world and are filled with the Spirit of God, Walking by faith, even when to us it doesn't make sense. Because they're desperate, they're hurting, they're lonely, they're starving for something. They need Christ. We have that answer. Are we willing to walk with God and say, Lord, here we are. Use us in whatever way you choose. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.